Father, thanks for loving us the way you do. We ask your spirit to be with us this morning to make Christ present in our hearts and minds as we look at your word, gathered with your people, empowered by your spirit. God, would you show us what you desire to show us? Would you teach us, mold us, shape us into the likeness of your son? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to be transformed, to be changed? We pray that you would do the work in and through us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in this situation? I'm going to die. Okay, now I don't mean like emotionally. I remember the first time my first girlfriend broke up with me in seventh grade, and I went to the garage, and I was in the car just, my life is over. I was crying. I was just like, oh my. I wasn't thinking my life was over physically, but have you ever been in the situation where you found yourself in some type of bodily experience where you're going, this is it? And your life flashes before your eyes and you're going like, I'm, I'm going to go be with Jesus. Like, I'm going to die today. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened three times to me in my life. One was with a jet ski. One was at a restaurant. But in between those two, I was on a mountain when this happened. I was in college and I was snowboarding for the first time. And I had been skiing growing up here and there, and in college, my brothers, we wanted to go snowboarding, and I wanted to try it, and I was like, great, and let me just give you a tip of advice. If you've never snowboarded, please give yourself two days, at least two days, because the first day, you're going to find yourself on your backside almost the whole day learning what it means to snowboard, because you're strapped in, it's an awkward position, you have to learn the method, sometimes you can catch it quicker than others, but give yourself a second day to enjoy it, because you might go the first day, and then it's just like, why would I pay for this? I'm just falling down a mountain, and I'm cold, this is terrible, but if you give your second, a second day, and you begin to catch it at the end, it will be good for you. I love to snowboard. So th this is our second day going to the mountain, we took about three days, we were um, going to Tahoe, we were at Palisades Tahoe, which in 1960 hosted the Winter Olympics. And so this is a big mountain. It's beautiful there. And the first day was a little bit of a learning curve. Like I mentioned, like I was falling down quite a bit. And, but by the end of the, the, the first day, I got it. Felt good. Knew what I was doing. Going down blue runs. Felt great about that. And so the second day came and I'm feeling myself. I'm feeling confident. I'm enjoying it. My brother had been snowboarding before. And so at the end of the second day, he goes, let's go all the way to the top. And now this is a mountain where like you have to take a lift to the middle of the mountain standing up. Everybody stands in the huge lifts and you go up to the middle and then you take a lift. And so we went all the way to the top of the mountain. We get off on the top of the mountain. If you've ever been snowboarding, maybe getting off the lift is the hardest part because your body is turning and you have to get out and you're not strapped in. It's a very awkward position. And so we get off and when you go to the top of the mountain at the Palisades, um, it's, it's a black run, and there's a little ledge about, uh, it probably goes to the end of this wall, and then you go down into the run. So I get off the lift, I'm kind of going, and again, I'm feeling good about myself, I'm kind of flat-footed, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this gust of wind comes and literally picks me up off the ground and body slams me on the snow. And in that moment, I was like, I'm going to die. Like life flashes before my eyes, I'm going, this is it. I'm never going to get married, 
This is like, this is like all of it was happening in real time, really super fast. And it just slammed me on the ground. And luckily, because on the other side of that ridge, there's nothing. It's, it, you're, you're, it's death um, on the other side. It's just a mountain. And you're going to fall and die. And I was very nervous. It was probably the time I've been most scared in my life, if I'm honest. And some of the reason that it happened was not only the wind, but I started to get too comfortable and I was just flat-footed. And if you've ever done snowboarding, you know one of the things they'll teach you is you never can be flat-footed. You're always on your heels or your toes. And the reason you're always on your heels or your toes is because if you go flat-footed and you're going down a mountain with snow, it's going to eventually catch your board if you're not on your heels or your toes. And what will happen is that snow will build up and it'll put you on your back or it'll put you on your front. And so you always have to be on your heels or your toes all the time when you're snowboarding. But that gets exhausting. You're using muscles you don't normally use. Your calves are burning, and you're like, okay, just let me go flat-footed for a minute. But when you do that, it can be very dangerous. And I wasn't ready in that moment. I just kind of began to hit coast, and it was not a good situation for me. And I almost lost my life. It was scary. It was very scary. And what we're going to talk about, what we're going to see in the passage this morning is this idea of beginning to be flat-footed, even in the context of our finances. And the big idea, if you're taking notes uh, this morning that we're going to run down as we look at Jesus's words, is the idea of that kingdom economics, kingdom economics are sustained by readiness and reliability. Kingdom economics are sustained on readiness and reliability. If you're new with us, um, or if you haven't been here, this is the, the last week of a four-week series called Rich Towards God. Uh, we're sitting in Luke chapter 12, this conversation that Jesus is having with his whole crowds and then his disciples and then back to the crowds, and we're picking up the last week of it. Let me just give some review, again, if you're new or you just need to be reminded. The first week, we started in verse 13 of chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to the crowds. Somebody comes and interrupts him in the midst of that and says, teacher... Tell this man to give the inheritance that's due to me. And Jesus is like, that's not what I'm talking about. But he addresses it anyway. And he helps this person realize through a parable. He tells this parable about this man that has tons of crops. He has abundance. And he's going, what should I do with my abundance? I'm going to tear down my little barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. And in the parable, Jesus is saying, like, you don't even know that your life's going to be taken from you tonight. You're a fool. And then he says in verse 21, if you look down at Luke chapter 12 in your Bible, he says, anyone who stores up treasure for himself will not be rich towards God. And so in the first week, what we looked at is this idea of kingdom economics. That in the midst of what Jesus begins to do is he starts to talk about there's another way to think about money. There's another way to think about possessions. The world thinks about it this way. There's worldly economics, but let me help Shape your understanding of what it means to hold possessions, hold money in the context of the kingdom, how you were meant to live as a human. And Jesus in this passage in verse 13 and onward, he's answering a direct question. But man, Jesus talks about money all the time. If you read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, the account of Jesus, like he talks about money quite a bit. And you're going like, why does he talk about money so much? It's not because he needs your money. And the church doesn't need your money <laughs> Jesus doesn't want your money. Jesus wants your heart. And Jesus knows, and, and the Bible knows, that, man, money is a powerful thing that we can begin to latch on to, hold security to, our bank account, our finances, our possessions. And Jesus only wants us to hold on to him for security. 
And so he constantly goes after a heart with things that get in front of it, like money. And so this is another example, and we're trying to shift our thinking of like, man, we can just drift into thinking about money or possessions or economics just like everybody else. And Jesus is going, there's a better way to think about this. Let me help you understand what it is. So the first week we talked about this idea and kind of begin to compare the idea of worldly economics to kingdom economics. Week two, what we saw is that kingdom economics are based on the Father's abundance. And they're based on the Father's abundance. As Jesus turns to his disciples and says, here's, here's what this means for you as you follow me closely. And he says, man, don't be anxious. Because his disciples are going like, well, we're not supposed to save up and have bigger, like how are we supposed to think? And he goes, don't you know that your father loves you. Look at the birds. When you start to feel anxiety about your finances and I don't have enough and you're going to the scarcity mentality, go like, doesn't your father feed the birds? Doesn't your father clothe the grass? And he cares way more about you than he does those things. And he takes care of them. He provides for them. And so to shift your focus off your circumstances, your anxiety to, oh, my father's going to care for me. He has an abundance. He's not running out of money. He's not running out of things that he will take care of me. And there's idea that, again, in the world's economy, there's this scoreboard that we play by, that however much stuff we have, how much money we have in the bank account gives us our security, and we're kind of moving toward this upward mobility posture that, like, have a bigger house and have a better car, and, and if you're not doing that, you're not successful, you don't have security, and Jesus says, actually, that's, that's not it. There's a kingdom scoreboard to operate by. And then we saw in the third week, if the second week was the idea that kingdom economics are based on the Father's abundance, the, the following week was kingdom economics are based on, are built on trust, generosity, and internal investment. As Jesus continues, last week we saw, he's saying, don't fear. Don't fear your father, little flock, he says. He's a good shepherd, and he's a good father, and he's a good king. And he says, listen, I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to worry the way, the antidote to if money and possessions are starting to lock up your heart. Here's what you do. You sell what you have, and you give to the poor. You build up for yourself treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth. And again, he's comparing and contrasting the idea of the world's economy to the kingdom economy. So if kingdom economics are based on the Father's abundance, they're built on trust, generosity, and eternal investment, then this week we're going to see that kingdom economics are sustained on readiness and reliability. They're based in the Father's abundance, they're built on trust, generosity, and eternal investments, and they're sustained on readiness and reliability. So if you don't already have a Bible, open it up, open it up to Luke chapter 12, let's pick up this last section, and then next week we're going to start a new series in Isaiah chapter 40 through 55. We're going to look nine weeks at this poetry that Isaiah gives us in the Old Testament talking about Jesus and comfort, and it's going to be really, really good. So again, this is the last uh, week in this series. So chapter 12, verse 35, look at it with me together. It says this, Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whose master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. So the first example, Jesus gives a positive example of uh, the servants that know their master is coming back and they're uh, waiting for him. They're ready when he comes and he knocks on the door and they're blessed for that. 
Then he shifts and gives uh, another example uh, in verse 38 and 39. He says, and again, this is a different example, but he says, if he comes in the second watch, I'm sorry, that's still part of the first example, verse 38, if he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. Then he shifts and verse 39 gives another example, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what the hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So again, verse 35, Jesus says, stay ready for action. The literal word is gird up your loins. And what that means in the cultural context is men would even wear kind of these long garments. And what girding up your loins meant is you would tuck your garment into your belt so that you were ready. So that you could run, so that you were ready for action, because if you left your robe down and you tried to run, it wasn't going to be good for you. And so it's like, gird up your loins, stay ready for actions, keep your lamps burning. And then he gives, again, a positive example and then a negative one. Jesus is saying, stay ready. So to illustrate this, uh, I need some help, and I have some helpers here from the Gussick family, since you're right up front. Um, Johnny and Milo, would you make your way to the stage here for a minute? Come on up around this way. Yep, you can give them a hand. It's Milo's birthday today, everybody. How about that? I know. I know. Milo, you're how old today? Nine. Nine? Oh, my goodness. Okay, Milo, I want you to stand right here like this, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a ready stance like this. Okay, keep your feet wide. You're ready. Okay, you're an athlete. You know what that means to be in a ready stance. Okay, that's good. Now, Johnny's a very strong man. He's not nine. Um, we've <laughs> grown up a long time together. John, his profession is a firefighter. So, um, Johnny, what I want you to do is not have a ready stance, and I want you to stand with your feet like glued together as tight as you can. Okay? Now, here's what I'm going to do. Okay. You didn't have to make it dramatic, Johnny, but I appreciate the effort. I appreciate that. Just stand together again. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Thank you. You guys can go. I appreciate that. Well done. Well done. Anytime I have the opportunity to embarrass my friends on stage, I will do it. So Johnny is obviously stronger than his nine-year-old daughter, Myla. Although, Myla, you are strong. It's true. You are. But did you notice how they were standing? And this is what Jesus is telling us. He's saying, listen, you need to have a ready stance. I've given you this. You think of the disciples. Again, think of how they're thinking. And they're going, okay, I'm not supposed to build up and save up and, and kind of uh, get my security from the things I have and the possessions and build bigger barns. And so that makes me nervous. What should we do? And Jesus is going, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. I got you. And so they could go, okay, well, I'll just lean back and coast and I don't have to worry about anything. And what Jesus is going back to in this moment, he's going, listen, you have gotten this inheritance and I want you to invest it in the kingdom. He's saying, seek the kingdom first. And so in seeking the kingdom, there's a readiness stance that we have to be aware of. And some of us in life, we start with a ready stance, even with our finances, Maybe we get married and we have to do a budget with our potential spouse. Or maybe you're just doing a budget on your own. You're going like, how do I spend my money and how do I invest it in the kingdom? And so you start in kind of this ready stance. And then what happens over time is your feet just begin to drift into each other. And you just start to go like, oh, 
good. And then you get pushed. And you fall over and you're like, what? what's the deal? And it's like because we've just slowly been eroded into the world's thinking on money and we start to not have a ready stance for the kingdom. And what Jesus is doing, he's coming back to his disciples and he's going, no, 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 no. You got to stay ready. You're on mission. There's things I want you to do with the inheritance I'm giving to you. Like, I don't want you to be bent out of shape and be anxious about your finances. I'm going to take care of you. But in taking care of you, there's a responsibility that you have. There's a readiness that you have to go, okay, how am I investing in the kingdom? And for many of us, man, we've just slowly let the culture put our legs like this, and then all of a sudden, we're not in a ready stance. And so what that means for all of us, I mean, this happens to all of us all the time. And some of us, we go, okay, we need to get back to that ready stance. So for some of you, maybe you need to have a conversation with your spouse if you're married. For some of you, you need to go back and just look at your accounts and go, okay, am I thinking correctly about what God has given me financially? Am I investing well? Am I giving to the kingdom? Am I taking care of the poor? Or am I just slowly beginning to build up these things that give me security? And in the midst of that, you're not being ready. And Jesus is warning against that. Why is he warning us in that? Even in the text and the example he uses in the back end, he's going like, listen, you don't know when the master is going to come back. And it's just true for all of us. We don't know when our last breath will be taken on a mountain or somewhere else. We don't know when Jesus is going to come back. And sometimes we go, well, I'll get to that tomorrow. And that's kind of our posture We go, well, I'll start giving or I'll start uh, being generous when I get that extra pay raise. And we saw this all the time in college ministry. My wife and I worked in college ministry for 16 years, and not necessarily with money, but just with like, well, I'll start walking with Jesus when I get out of college, because this is college, right? When I get a family and I settle down, I'll go back to church, and it's like Jesus is going, no, you're missing it. I want the best for you. The best for you as a human, the best for you is to walk with me right now today. And that even includes your finances. And for some of you, again, that are in college, you're going, well, I don't have any money. (laughs) Or in high school, you're going, well, what does that look like for me? Start now. Be in a ready position to go, okay, how can I give what what comes in? Like, how can I be generous? Maybe you can't be generous with your money because you don't have a lot of it. You can be generous with your time. You can always be generous. And so what Jesus is saying in this idea of kingdom economics, how do we move to a posture of readiness in our heart, to be generous with what he gives us, to invest what he has given us in inheritance instead of just going like, okay, I'm just going to kind of coast and lean back. And again, it doesn't happen automatically for all, it happens over time. And so some of us just need to wake up a little bit, even to, to the text and go like, okay, man, this, we, like we've been talking about this for a while <laughs> We just need to do it. Let's, let's, let's go back to our financial uh, uh, spreadsheet and our budget and go, okay, we've talked about giving or we've talked about supporting that person or we've talked about being generous in this category, that category. Let's stop talking about it and let's actually begin to implement it. And Jesus is saying in the context of kingdom economics, they're sustained on readiness. And we just need to be reminded of that. All of us do all the time. So that's point number one. Again, that kingdom economics are sustained on readiness. The second thing is that they're also sustained on reliability. Verse 41. If you know the Bible and you know the Gospels, man, Peter, man, he's the best, right? Because he says what everybody's thinking. And he's going like, 
okay, Jesus, what, like, is this for us? Like, this is what he says in verse 41. It says, Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Right? If you remember, Jesus talking to the crowds, and then he shifts his focus in verse 22. He's just talking to his disciples, and then he's, he starts in this parable, and Peter's going, like, wait, am I responsible for this, or is this for everybody? Like, help us understand. Um, Jesus doesn't answer him directly, total Jesus, right? Like, come on, man. Um, verse 42, here's, here's what he says. He starts into another parable. He says, and the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of the food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master will find also doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So the first thing Jesus says, he gives him a positive example. He says, Peter, man, the servant that knows the master is coming back and he invests well, I'm gonna give him even more. It's kind of like Matthew 25, if you're familiar with that passage and that parable of the talents. Some get five, some get two, some get one, and the people that invest and do well, the, the, the master comes back and says, I'm actually going to give you more to invest because you've done well, you've been ready, you've, you've been active in what I'm calling you to do. Then he continues, verse 45, again, he gives a positive, then he gives a negative like he does in the last section, verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour when he does not know, and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So Jesus turns dark all of a sudden. It's like, whoa, like this is violent, Jesus. Like this parable is like, when I read this again, just at face value, I think of like a gangster movie, or I think of like, oh, what is happening? <laughs> like he gives a negative example, he goes, man, if there's a servant and he's going like, my, you know, my master's delayed in coming. Like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And in doing what I want to do, what happens is I start to beat the male and female servants. I start to get drunk. I eat. I live like there's no eternity is basically what he's saying. And it's comparable to the parable he starts off with in, in chapter 13 or verse 13. He's going like, I really don't care about the master. I'm going to do what I want to do. And doing what I want to do in my flesh, I start to abuse power and I start to abuse people. And Jesus says, that's not okay. In the midst of that, he says, man, the master is going to come back, not at a time you're expecting, and this is going to be the consequence. It's going to cut you into pieces. Now, again, the idea of cutting into pieces, we read that and we think, um, you know, maybe shows we've watched that are like massively violent, but the, the original audience would have heard it a different way. Because in the original language, cut into pieces is literally cut into two. And they would have in their mindset this idea in the Old Testament of Genesis 15, when God wants to bless Abraham, and what does he do? He, he puts him down asleep, and he, he cuts these animals into two. This was something that would happen in the culture, and it was a part of a covenant agreement where you would cut animals down the two, and then one party from that end would walk this way, one party with that end would walk this way. You would meet in the middle, you would shake hands, and you would agree on the covenant you were agreeing to, and if you didn't do what you said you were going to do, it was saying, you can cut me into pieces like these animals. And so they would have read that and heard that in a way that was like, oh, he's talking about covenant language here. It's not just for us to go, Jesus, why are you being so violent? 
He's using his words and his parable intentionally because of Genesis 15, Exodus 29, 17, the idea of cutting into two, the same phrase is used in that passage to talk about sacrifice. The idea of a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, the, the animals would be get cut into two. He talks about it again in Jer- Jeremiah 34, 18. The Old Testament does it's this idea of as the people aren't following the covenant of God, they should be cut into two. This is the imagery that Jesus is giving to say, man, if you're not reliable with the things I'm investing in you, it's not going to go well for you, especially if you're abusing the people I care about. The master cares about those servants that are getting beaten, and that is not okay. So that's the first example, negatively, he gives, and then he says this in verse 47. He says, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. The next example, man, this is just brutal, right? Like, you're just going to get cut up into pieces, or you're going to get beat here, Um, What Jesus is saying is like, okay, the next servant, like, he knows the master's will, but he doesn't abuse the people. He doesn't get impatient and and like, I'm tired of waiting for the master. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. This servant just kind of ignores. He doesn't do harm, but he just kind of stands idle, flat-footed. It says he's not ready. He just kind of ignores what the master is calling him to do. And like, Jesus is saying, like, the master is going to come back and you're going to get disciplined for this. Like, this is not going to be good for you. And again, so many of us can, can drift into this space, even as Christians going like, okay, God's given me an inheritance and like, yeah, I know all that's true, but I just, I'm tired or I, I'm not thinking about, you're just not intentional with what God is giving you to do. And God's going to discipline you in a way that's going like, no, there's a better way. Like, I want you to think actively about how to invest in my kingdom. And then the next example he gives in verse 48, but the one who did not know and did uh, what deserved a meeting will receive a light beating. So uh, maybe you're not harming the people and you're totally ignoring the master's instructions or in the middle you're going, well, like I'm kind of flat-footed. I'm not doing bad things, but I'm not really doing good things. Or you're over here going, look, I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. Anyway, you're going like, there's an accountability that we have to God for what he has given us. And then it says this in verse 48, the end of 48, it says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. And so this idea that, uh, that Jesus is beginning to shift our thinking in these passages is going, okay, here's what the worldly economy will say. This is what's normal for everybody. This is, you gotta be careful you don't drift into this. Is that like, if you are given much in the worldly economy through the parables Jesus is saying and just in life, you go, well, I'll keep much, right? I'll build bigger barns. I'll get a bigger home. I'll get a better car. If I've been given much through my job or through the salary that I earned, like I'm just gonna hold it to myself, now, is it wrong to get a bigger house, bigger car, nicer car? No. Those things aren't wrong inherently. But again, if your heart starts to attach to those things for your security and you're not understanding what the kingdom says, because the worldly uh, economics would say, like, here's what you do. If you've been given much, you keep much. But the kingdom economy, even from this last verse in verse 48, it's like, you've been given much, you're required much. And so that shifts our thinking a little bit. Doesn't it? Like, I'm given much, not just to keep and not just to hold and not just to call my security, but I'm given much so that I can be responsible to give much. 
And we talked about this idea in the first week that God blesses us, so why? We can be a blessing. He doesn't bless us so we can be comfortable. He doesn't bless us so we can just hold it and have security on it. He blesses us so that we can bless other people. That's the way it's wired. That's the way the kingdom economy works. That's what is the idea that woven into this parable of being on mission. That God in the beginning with Adam and Eve, he says, listen, I've created this unbelievable word and I want you to partner with me in it. I'm going to give you jobs to do. You, you are going to take care of the land and you're going to um, name the animals. And I want you to be a part of what is beautifully unfolding in this world. And he continues to tell us to do that. When he gives us things, he says, hey, I want you to be a part of this mission. I don't want you just to be laid back. I don't want you to be on cruise control. Like there's a, a readiness and a responsibility that I'm calling you to, to be a part of what this means for the flourishing of humanity. Now, again, in verse 48, that last part, everyone to whom much was given of much will be required from whom much is entrusted, they will demand more. Again, this can feel somewhat subjective for us. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If we surveyed the room and we said, hey, are you rich? You'd probably go, no. Like, I mean, I do okay. But no, I'm not rich. It's the people in Scottsdale, Paradise Valley. They're the ones rich. And if we ask the people in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley, hey, are you rich? They go, no. It's the people in Beverly Hills. And Brentwood, they're the ones that are rich. And this just keeps going on, right? There's a subjective nature to this question of, are you rich or are you entrusted much? So even in that same idea of going like, are you entrusted much? You might be going, like, I'm entrusted a little. I'm, an, I'm entrusted okay. I'm doing all right. And I think we have to, again, begin to frame our thinking differently Instead of just thinking economically, how many zeros do I have in my bank account? <laughs> like, how much stuff do I have? When you think spiritually and the idea of being rich towards God, have you been entrusted much? When you think in those categories, has God given you much? If you're a Christian, if you made the decision to walk with Jesus, surrender your life to him because at some point God woke you up through the power of his spirit to realize, man, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I need Jesus to be the bridge back to the Father. There's nothing I can do. All my good works don't count. I need Jesus' atonement, his blood on the cross, his perfect life lived for me in an exchange. I need that exchange to know God in a real way and to know who I am. If you've made that decision to surrender your life to Jesus, have you been given much? What have you been given? You've been given the Son. Jesus himself has sacrificed his life so that you can live, so that you can have access to the Father, so that you can be fully human again. You've been given the Son and his sacrifice on the cross for you. What else have you been given? You've been given the Spirit. The Bible says that when Jesus goes back up, he sends his spirit to the church, to the people that follow him, so that you can be comforted, that you can be convicted, that you can be empowered to live the life Jesus is calling you to live. You've been given the Son, you've been given the Spirit, you've been given the Word. God's Word is to us. It makes sense to us if you are in Jesus through the power of the Spirit that you would go, oh, this is how I live. This is rich and deep and it makes sense for me more than it has before I knew Jesus. You've been given the Son, the Spirit, you've been given the church. People around you, to rally around you, to care for you, to love for you. I know the church is all kinds of messed up because we're people and we're all kinds of messed up. But there's also beauty in the church. 
There's beauty for people that rally around you to tell you the truth, to remind you of who Jesus is and who you are in him. Have you been given much when you think about that? And if you have been given much, man, are you being reliable with what you've been given? Even spiritually, this idea of being rich towards God, are you investing in the inheritance of what you've been given in Christ? Or are you just holding it to yourself and going, well, I know I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. And you just kind of hold it to yourself. The same thing is true here that Jesus is saying, man, to be a part of the kingdom, to be a part of what I'm doing in the world, I don't want you just to hold it. I want you to share it. I want you to give it away. I want you to love people. I want you not to kind of make it your security, but go like, oh, my father's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. And in that, you share it with other people. That's what missional living means. How are you doing with that? And this is not like, oh, man, we all walk out and we feel like we suck, right? Like, oh, I could be doing better. We could all be doing better. And that's what Jesus is doing. Like, be ready and be reliable. I've got you on mission. I have a, a purpose for your life and what you're doing. And how are we sharing those resources, not just monetarily, but how are we sharing who Jesus is? How are we sharing who the Spirit is? How are we sharing what the Word is and what the church is and the beauty of it? Are we investing well with the inheritance we've been given? Man, Jesus' teaching here in these passages combines two fundamental New Testament truths and themes, his return and the call for his people to be faithful, being ready and being reliable. What changes do you need to make in your life to be ready and reliable? And again, here's the beauty of the Christian faith and the gospel. This isn't walking out and going like, okay, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, I'm going to get to my budget, and I'm going to do the right thing. You go, no, 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 no. If you believe that God has died for you on the cross and he sends his spirit for you, who is called to be ready and reliable? As you call and depend on the spirit, is he ready at any moment to answer you? As you call on the spirit, is he reliable? <laughs> He's the most reliable thing ever, most reliable person ever. And so for the Christian, it's going like, okay, how do I shift my focus instead of me being ready and reliable all the time and I'm so great? No, you go like, okay, how do I be more dependent? How do I trust the Spirit in my life? How do I go to Him and He's ready to meet my need at every single moment? He's ready to make me reliable as one of His vessels, to be a good servant to a good master. Kingdom economics calls for faithfulness. And especially how we care for others when the master is away. That's what this text is showing us this morning. And again, Jesus is the perfect model for us in seeing what the kingdom and the kingdom economics look like lived out. For while he was away from the master, he remained faithful, caring for us, the spiritually poor. He was the one that took your unfaithful stewardship upon himself on the cross. Right? He was the one cut into two, taking the consequences for our failed covenant. He is the one that took a severe beating for us not obeying the master. And he's the one that entrusts his followers to take the investment he has deposited into us, his righteousness, his spirit, his word, his church, and share it with your family, with your neighbors, with your classmates, with your coworkers, with the world. 
This is the call of what it means to lean into the fact that we are rich towards God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He equips us with his spirit to be ready and to be reliable. One of the things I love in technology as we kind of close this morning is um, I love the fact that uh, on my phone, I have my banking app who I bank with and I have an app called Rocket Money that just helps kind of um, me assess where I'm doing and how I'm doing financially. I can pull up my phone and it'll scan my face and it'll show me all my accounts, the balances, the deposits, the withdrawals, and I can kind of situate and go, okay, I know if I have means to do what I need to do, to pay bills, to be able to get this thing or that thing. It's very, very convenient, right? And I don't know if you've ever experienced this. This has happened a couple times where I'll look at my account and I'm going, oh, it's, it's, it's more than I thought it was going to be, whether it's like a Christmas bonus or somebody sent me money and I'm going like, oh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm more well off than I thought I was. This is great. Have you ever experienced that? It's like, oh, it's a surprise. And you're going, like, wow, like, I feel good because I can do this thing. Just like the banking app gives us a proper assessment for how we think financially about the situation we're in, this is what the table does for us every week. It's the assessment to go, do you know you're rich towards God? Man, do you know what Jesus has done for you? That he's given you an inheritance that will not run out. Because sometimes we can go throughout our week and we just blew it and we're sinning and we're terrible people and we walk into church and we just feel bankrupt and we forget that the Father looks at us through the lens of Jesus. And so when you walk down this aisle, it's an appropriate way to go, oh, I'm rich. I forgot this week. I forgot yesterday. I forgot when I was treating that person that way. I was operating out of a worldly economy of scarcity instead of a kingdom economy of abundance and love. And so when you walk this table, you're reminded of how wealthy you are. Man, because Jesus has given you and given you and he'll continue to give you and give you grace and mercy and care and truth and you're reminded of that as you take a piece of bread which represents his body given for you and you dip it in the juice which represents his blood shed for you and you're reminded you're rich and man when you're rich that puts you in a different position to love people well and that's the whole point of being rich towards God not to hold it not to keep it but to share it with a hurting world that needs to know somebody in this room, if you're a Christian, somebody told you about Jesus that didn't just happen magically. And this is what we're called to do as Christians, to go out and share the resources that Jesus has given us. Let's pray. Father, thanks. <clears throat> Even as we come to the table this morning that we're reminded of our richness found in you, and your son, and then in the kingdom economy. God, that wealth is not meant for us to be hoarded or kept to ourselves, but to be shared. So help us be people that share what is true. Even in the midst of being hard, God, help us trust your spirit, not to be uh, more ready on our own efforts, but that you would help us have a ready stance in your kingdom to be missional and help us be reliable because you are reliable. We need to be reminded of that this morning. We ask that you would do it in and through us. We pray it in your name. Amen.